0: Welcome to the Get to Vet podcast, where we bridge the knowledge gaps in the military transition process so you can focus on what's ahead. Hey there, Get to Vet. Trevor Maxwell here today, uh, doing our first episode of 2022 with my partner in podcasting. Oh, Mike
1: Riggs. Great to be here today.
0: Yep. And uh, we're we're coming out of the we're coming out of the gate swinging. We got an awesome guest today. Uh, some somebody who I'm sure a lot of you uh, are already familiar with. Um, he's he's been in the headlines lately, and um, I'll let him introduce himself. Um, but uh, Stu Scheller is here with us today, and so Stuart, sorry, Stuart Scheller, um, go ahead and say hi to everybody.
2: Yeah. Uh, thanks, Trevor, and Mike, for having me on the show. My name is Stuart Scheller. I was a lieutenant colonel in the United States Marine Corps, infantry officer, 17 years. And I recently jumped into the media by challenging the Afghan withdrawal. And ultimately, it culminated with me in jail and then exiting from the Marine Corps expeditiously.
0: And, you know, I know a lot of guys, uh, I've talked to tons of people that since this has happened, um, have had, you know, tremendous amount of respect for what you did, because I know that took a shitload of courage to do it and um you know that's a I, people i think get too much information about the military from the news or movies you know they see that that scene in black hawk down where the guy's laying in bed all shot up and he's like don't go back out there without me um but you know unfortunately what we're seeing now the reality of the situation is is when somebody does you know display some level of virtue and says hey you know what i'm going to stand up and and talk about what's right. Uh, You know, we're, we're seeing it and you're experiencing it first time uh, firsthand what happens. And um,
2: yeah, Trevor, I just want to comment on that because it's funny you brought up Black Hawk down. So I used to love that movie and that movie really glorifies war to exactly what you just said. And as you get older and you study The operational failures of Somalia and just the terrible decisions made on the general officer level that no one was held accountable for set the whole stage for the events that took place in that movie that glorified all those things that we watched and thought, oh, my gosh, I want to go do that. And it's just there's a direct correlation to what I did because it was the same thing. A lot of my experiences were glorified. Uh, or I went there thinking they were going to be something more significant than they were. I mean, I, I really enjoyed being a leader, but I struggled my whole career with what was the bigger purpose and why we weren't doing things differently. Which ultimately culminated with the attacks on 26 August in Afghanistan. So it just was ironic to me that you brought that up because I, as I went through this, was reflecting back on a lot of my motivations, and I was thinking about that movie and what a you know glorification it was. And when you think about just what a mess the plan was that you can see the direct correlation.
0: Yeah. And it's, you know, we see the recruiting posters, we see the movies and, you know, but you know, for me too, I was a a gung ho young kid. I thought, yeah, I want to jump out of planes and blow stuff up. And, you know, I got to do that, but then, you know, I went to my first post blast where a suicide bomber had, you know, Killed a bunch of people, men, women, children. And I thought, Jesus, this is, um, you know, they don't, they don't say show stuff like this in the movies, right. They don't, this isn't the stuff that I thought, you know, was going to be super awesome and everything. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, the, the thing is, is a lot of the people that make those strategic level decisions are pretty far removed from, from ever having to deal with that. That's right. um, and I know, you know, at your level, you're still, you know you weren't you weren't the lowest guy on the on the ladder but you were still you know you weren't in orbit high enough to where you couldn't uh see stuff like that and um yeah i get that and i applaud it and mike knows just from when he was my first team chief um <laughs> maybe not the level that you did but i got in trouble for saying some things uh too that he you know probably got shoot out for by an ops master chief uh but yeah yeah i'm i'm What you said really resonated with me and it resonated with a lot of other people. I think the last time I've heard so many enlisted guys, you know, openly display, you know, a a high, uh, the the highest level of respect for an officer was uh, a few years ago, the F-18 pilot who drew a big picture in the sky, but you know, that was, that was doing something that was goofing around, but you were dead serious in, in what you were doing you knew like, Hey, this is going to change my life forever. And, um, yeah, it's, I, you know, I try not to say it too much, but that, you know, we always talk about courage and all that stuff. Well, there's different types of courage. And I think what you did absolutely took a whole lot of courage that a lot of the people that you were speaking out against, um, probably don't either don't have, or wouldn't display in the manner that you did.
1: Yeah, I can, um, I really, what your message was really resonated with me because I can remember 2012, 2013, when I was over there in Afghanistan, I had to go back and do a staff job for a year. And I was a little bit frustrated to begin with to go over there because I think it was the first time I was actually ever going to be on short duty. And as soon as I checked in they said, oh, hey, guess what, Master Chief, uh, we need you to go to Afghanistan with us. I'm like, well, why is that? Well, you're the only one of staff that's ever been there. <laughs> like a, a sweet. Okay, let's go. So I went over there and uh we were in Bagram, which is just not the great place to be going up and down Disney and the only place in Afghanistan where you saluted. Ridiculous. Brother but,
2: uh, I've been on Disney and I understand the ridiculousness of that uh, area. I was an officer. And so walking down that road to the Chow Hall, I had to salute everybody.
1: It was ridiculous, absolutely <clears> ridiculous. <throat> but our Commodore made it a point, and, and I thought it was a great point. And I was thinking about this before we started podcast. I've been thinking about this for probably the last couple of weeks. But uh, he made it a point every ramp ceremony we attended. That was a that was a standing that was a standing rule that. If if you were available to go to the ramp ceremony, you were stand watch. You were going to the ramp ceremony, and we would go to every ramp ceremony. And I was fortunate enough; I had the honor to escort somebody from Mortuary Affairs, a fallen EOD tech, Army EOD guy, one day. And then I'll I'll remember that till the day I die. But uh, I can remember when when you specifically started hitting uh, when your message hit. You know, I started reflecting back on some of the frustrations I was having back then eight years ago, you know, and and I can remember, you know, I can remember somebody, somebody used to say, you know, Afghans don't have watches and that, that always stuck in my mind too, that, you know, they're just waiting us out. They're just waiting us out. And this is, this is really starting to piss me off because what are we really doing? And then. You know, I had done village stability operations, which is, is a really great thing on PowerPoint. Love it. I mean, I'm sure somebody got a A-plus at the War College for that. And, and it looks really great in practice or in, on paper. But in practice, it sucks. Because if you're not in village stability operations for the long haul, if you're not going to execute every phase of village stability operations from phase whatever to the to the finish don't do it. Don't do it. Because if you're going to do it half-ass, it sucks. And we, Trevor and I were fortunate, unfortunate or fortunate enough to do village stability operations half-ass and you stick a bunch of SF guys or SEALs out there, which is who we were working with. And you're just stuck out there waiting for what, what phase? when, when are we going to, you know, transition to the next phase? And we're just out there doing, basically nothing. And then, you know, that was, uh, I think 2000, late 2012, 2013 was when the administration decided to take the bog down from, you know, six digits down to five digits and that whole thing. And then you're, you're literally watching one person exit the country. So another person could enter the country type of thing. And it was just the bureaucracy involved in that was just, astounding and it was just the level of frustration was just mounting and mounting and i just remember what you know when you when you when you hit the you know when you hit the uh the headlines i was like it just brought back a lot with me you know so it, it was it was good it was good stuff it was a great message and i don't think you said I don't, you didn't say anything that not a ton of us weren't thinking so i really applaud you and the courage you had to say what you said
2: Thanks, Mike. Yeah, I mean, you hit on a lot there. Right? The PowerPoint slides that we made showing our effectiveness, I sat through a many of those briefs where we went into a new AO and the SIGAX went up. And so we showed on a slide how in our province the SIGAX went up, but then we showed in a slide how the SIGAX in adjacent provinces went down, which was showing the general that our increased presence was overall stabilizing the region and it was effective and it was, you know, as thin as the PowerPoint to all the points you just made. And I've just, I've watched so many of those briefs and all it took was exactly right. You going out and seeing the bases in Pakistan and saying, well, they're fucking right there. Like, I don't care what the slide says. And whereas a government not willing to go into Pakistan and clear out their home base, like you said, they can just wait us out. And I was actually over there when they killed Osama bin Laden and it was like, all right, well, we got Osama bin Laden. Like, what are we doing now? And we just stayed over there for another decade playing fuck, fuck games with the Taliban.
0: Yeah. I was, uh, were, were you, were you in Helmand when that happened?
2: No, I was actually, you know, I, I could talk to you guys about this, your Bagram IED experience. So I was a counter IED team leader in RC East. So like all the exploitations I sent back were to sexy, And so, like, I was pulling all the same biometrics and stuff that you guys were working with, probably living right next door. So that was my I was uh, in Task Force Paladin. So Mm -hmm. underneath Task Force JIDO or JIDO. And so, yeah, we could talk the specifics of that whole IED fight. But I was there from June 10 to June 11 in RC East.
0: Okay. yeah, I was there from February 11 until January of 12 doing VSO and in Helmand. And I was actually on a SEAL platoon that was working for a Marsoc AOB, and uh, yeah, you know the funny thing is, is <clears> that really pissed me off about hearing all the 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 people in the stratosphere saying like, well, you know, we had no idea how this could happen like this. Like, that's a huge crock of shit. Um, anybody who had done anything boots on the ground there could see. That's what we all said in 2011. You know what, man? 10 minutes after we leave this place, the Taliban's going to roll right in and take everything back over. And, you know, so I, the thing that always pissed me off about this, and, you know, I tended to speak out against this my whole career was actual capability versus the appearance of capability or, you know, the appearance of getting anything done. And you know, I, I almost feel like you know this this whole thing in Afghanistan, uh, that's that's really you know careerism in the military just kind of took off again, right? And I'm sure it was probably that way in Vietnam. Um, you know, fortunately in in Desert Storm, uh, we were fortunate enough to have a a probably a little more uh, calm demeanor type leadership who said, no, we're not going to go into Baghdad because. We don't have a plan to get out and you know this we went into afghanistan and then we saw this bright shiny ball of iraq over here left afghanistan it got worse had to come back and and left us with the shit show that we had last year so i i mean too, you know to echo your sentiment like where's the accountability on that everybody's always looking for somebody else to blame because you know, the next election or, you know, my next job or whatever is right around the corner. Like the, uh, yeah, I I really feel like careerism in the military is just as much to blame for this as, you know, politicians who don't want to accept any kind of responsibility for anything.
1: Yeah. I think, you you know, the funny thing and a point you brought up about Afghanistan and, and going to Iraq when I went back. So when we did, well, I did two tours in Iraq and then, when I went back to Afghanistan with Team 4 early, late 2010, it was almost like we had put that place on a pause, on a pause button, because you had, because remember, like in Iraq, where you could go ring routes, you could just go pretty much anywhere you wanted to. I mean, you literally just go out to the tarmac, hold your thumb up, or put your whatever, you know, I mean, what it was you put like a whatever designation or something uh, with a Sharpie, on your on your hand or whatever wherever you want to go whatever crew would show up and look at your hand and they'd tell you either get on or or the next one or whatever and you just hop on a bird And next thing you know you're in baghdad or you're in you know you're wherever and afghanistan i get there and i was on um you know i was in Helmand and and man you want to talk about logistics were i mean they were Way behind, and you're like, Whoa, what the hell's going on over here, man? <laughs> what hasn't this place been going on a lot longer than Iraq? It, I mean, and you get like I was up in Fob Robinson, up in uh Hellman, and it took me about like two weeks to get out of there, just to get a flight, to get a helo out of there. <laughs> man, that place was nuts. It's just like they put that place on pause. they are like, all right, man, we'll get back to this as soon as this one's done. I mean, it was crazy. Well, I know, uh you know we kind of understand
0: like, yeah, I'm, I'm on board with with your message and everything. But really, I wanted to dig into, you know, this recent events, like after your trial and everything where you got into your transition, because, um, you know, we talk all the time on here about timelines and things like that. And, you know, I think the the typically the accepted answer is you need at least two years to get out. Right. Mike did that. I think I had like 14 months and it was still a stressful time. So I got to imagine you being on such a compressed timeline doing all that stuff was really rough on you.
2: Yeah, I don't think I've actually, I don't think it's hit me yet. So I got out on Christmas Eve, spent Christmas holiday with my family, and I've been traveling across the United States, You know, DC, Memphis, San Diego, Florida. And so through all the media appearances, again, it's been like artificial, like that's going to probably stop in like a week. And then once it calms down is really where it's probably going to hit me. And to your point, yeah, I mean, I didn't get to file for my disability, you know. Uh, I can still go back and do that. But usually that's like something that you would be afforded the opportunity to do. Um, I, you know, my TRS was a check in the box. It was three days, Zoom, half days. So then they just filled the paperwork out and that was that. And I did my final physical. They filled out the paperwork. I had to like go out of my way to get my medical records just so that I knew I was gonna have to file for disability at some point. And so, yeah, that, I mean, that was that like, thanks for playing. And uh, so there was really no transition for me other than a sharp pivot out.
0: Well, I know uh, if you do need help with your VA disability, Mike and I know a very good VSO that, uh, I think just about every seal and EOD tech, uh, as they're getting out, reach out to her. So I'll, I'll make an intro if you'd like. And, I appreciate um, that. I don't I don't know if you're tied in with, uh, Garrett Harrell, he's down there. Cause you're down around Lejeune, right? I am. Yeah. So I'll, I'll make an intro to Garrett Harrell too. Uh, he's a Marsoc Raider. Um, and he's also tied in with the honor foundation down there. I mean, I, I think, uh, it might be possible to get you in there uh, with them if you're interested, because that's a great program that kind of helps, you yeah. know, like figure out, Hey, all this stuff after you're, you're out of uniform. I'm
2: familiar with the honor foundation. I was actually in Marsoc for a year. So I, I, I was a, a battalion XO. So I used to send <clears throat> my staff and CEOs through it. Um, but usually the honor foundation is pre-transition. You know what I mean? So again, Most of these things are usually done pre-transition and I'm already Stu Scheller, right? So not that there wouldn't still be utility in it, but yeah, I'll have to, I I might have to go and look at it. I don't know what I want to be when I grow up either, right? So that's
0: the same thing. The other question.
2: And that's, I think what a lot of these programs also help you with, but I don't know if I'm even ready, but just based on my unique circumstances, I don't know if I'm ready to get a job. And I think if I went through the Honor Foundation, that's really, I think, what the end result is, what you're looking for. And and so I'd have to almost be ready to get a job before I jumped in one of those things.
1: I think some of the things, too, it helps you figure out what you don't want to do. That's what, you know, because I mean, especially a 30 year guy like me being so institutionalized. I mean, I've said it on here before. It's like, you know, you're, you're a lab puppy on a leash. Somebody opens up the front door and lets you off of it for the first time in 30 years. And you're like, holy shit, I can do this and this and this and this. I, you know, you're so overwhelmed. You don't know what the hell you want to do. You just, it's so overwhelming. You just got to start figuring out, you know, I I don't want to do that. Yeah. Okay. uh, That's not for me. And that's not for me. You know, where I ended up landing, you know, it was, during an interview and the guy's like, yeah, you know, we got something here, but I really want to put you on this. And then they ended up creating a position completely different from what I was being interviewed for. And I ended up landing at that position. So it was completely separate, a completely different position, completely, you know, completely different path than what it was even, you know, what I was supposed to be going into the company for. So it's just weird how these things, can happen. And what I'm doing now, I'm way more passionate about than what the hell they were interviewing me for to begin with. So it comes, you know, it's weird how these things work out eventually, you know, it's just, it's a strange path after the military because you get so used to everything being kind of laid out for you. Because I think from, you know, my 30 years, I probably chose where I wanted to go maybe twice in 30 years. I think the rest of the time it was them telling me, hey, we really wanted to go here, we really need you to go there, or so on and so forth. So and then you know, you start trying to wrap your head around, you know, you get into you know, officers have obligations, you know, when you go to your next assignment. We have enlisted we have contracts. Those aren't those don't exist anymore. You go try something out, you don't like it, guess what? Quit. You know, do the smart thing, put in a notice and go do something else. You know, it's really difficult though to to wrap your head around. The fact that this next thing isn't for two years or six years or four years or whatever the hell it is, you can just up and go. You know what? This I tried it. I don't like it. Uh, I'm going to try try this thing over here. You know, so it's it's a whole different game out there, and it's 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 really hard for guys like us that have been doing this for so long to really adjust your strategic mind and the way you you know you think about the the next step.
0: I was I was kind of in the same boat. I I had no idea what I wanted to do. I just knew I I don't want to do the standard, go get a contracting job, and you know, my I just I really didn't want a security clearance anymore too because that was a huge pain in the ass. If you wanted to go travel somewhere for my honeymoon, oh my god, I had to jump through hoops for like three weeks just to go on my honeymoon uh, slash third year anniversary. Uh, So. But you know that's that's a big part, like like you were talking about. I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. You know, that's that's one of the things that I like. The the whole first phase of the Honor Foundation is figuring out like who are you, right? And and you kind of hit on that too. Is like, hey, now I'm Stu Scheller. Like, you know, what do you do with that? And so, you know, right now I know you're getting a lot of uh, attention and stuff. And you know, we're grateful that you came on here too because uh you know, i i watched some of your interviews on tucker carlson and you know megan kelly and listened to to some of those and um so you know but like you said too like hey you know what that stuff doesn't last forever um so that's that's part of the journey too and it's it yeah. sucks cuz cuz you just don't have the time that a normal person does to figure all that stuff out
2: yeah Yeah, I mean, it's definitely weird times. I mean, just to go back to the beginning, you know, there was something that I thought was really important and it just became this thing that I just couldn't back away from. And it ended where I'm at now. Now it's trying to figure out how to navigate the new normal. A lot of the media that I'm doing now is just because I was on a gag order for so long that uh, the the government had the ability to write a narrative for me. The media had an ability to write a narrative for me and I just didn't have the ability to speak for myself. And so before I went on to the next thing, I needed to close this chapter with a little bit of my side of the story. It was important to me to go out there and, and answer certain things. And I feel like I have uh, mostly, you know, there's maybe a couple of other things I'll round out with a couple more interviews, but for the most part. Um, yeah. If you just the, exactly the two that you said, like Megan Kelly and Tucker Carlson are two good ones. I just did Jocko's podcast, which is a lot longer. That's like three and a half hours. But bit, I mean, between just those three right there, I mean, that, that essentially tells you my thought process and where my head was at. And so I was like happy to get those opportunities and each interview brings out a a new nuance and a a new way to address it. Like you're talking about the transition. I haven't talked about the transition with anyone. So each time I get to talk to someone new, it brings out another wrinkle and just kind of the complexity of my life and the, the weird ending. And it's therapeutic in a way to be able to just kind of get all this off. It's been cathartic for me to talk through all this stuff and with like minded people like yourselves. Right. So Here's two guys that we may have never met. Um, and you know, we all have these shared experiences that I think just, it's good for us to be able to talk about these things.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's like, I always, when I do coaching or whatever, I talk about that. I'm like, you know what, for me, like getting, it's funny, like getting out of the military to me was, you know, if you took every nighttime, hey ho and gunfight and IED I've been on top of i just don't think it equated to the you know the sustained long-term stress of of getting out of the military um and yeah that's a a lot of people don't don't understand that. like it's way harder to get out than it is to get in and and you know where where you didn't get that the opportunity to take advantage of a lot of the stuff that's out there is rough and so i wanted to talk a little bit about um some of the stuff you're doing now too. Cause I was, I was, I didn't realize you had had a YouTube channel for a couple of years. I, I went on there and watched some of your videos and then I went on your website too. So I wanted to maybe hit on that a little bit and talk about what you're doing with that. Yeah, man, hit me. So like the, obviously the YouTube channel has got some of the videos that you made. I know uh, I remember you reading, reading, uh, really LinkedIn is where I, I follow most of what you're doing and um. I remember you were talking about, you know, a lot of people. I've I've heard people just from the squawk box, like, "Oh, he's just trying to run for office." And then I saw your posts about that, where you, you know, said, "Hey, I, in fact, am not running for office right now, but you are working with." Uh, I can't remember the name of it. There's a, a yeah. I started
2: a candidate coalition to help other people get in office. Yeah, but to your point, like like I said, everyone was writing the narrative for me. I was either this violent extremist this far right wing guy, this guy trying to capitalize on a political career, like I mean, just, like no matter what, or a mental breakdown. I mean, there's just like anything you could think of other than maybe this guy's just passionate about what he's been doing for the last 17 years. And he thinks his leader should be held accountable. Like nobody said that, like nobody just commented on the content of my statements. Like everybody had to come up with an alternative motive. And it was just really frustrating for me. Like that was probably, that may have been the most frustrating thing. Like, I know I broke the rules. I know you guys are saying all this shit about me, but like, why is nobody talking about the content of what I'm saying? Like, that's why I said it so that we could talk about the content, and none of you were talking about that. And so, yeah, sorry, I got a little worked worked up there. But to your point, (laughs) I like
0: it. Yeah,
2: to your point. uh, If you go back and look at my YouTube channel, the I didn't have any social media or YouTube until 2018. And so I started the YouTube channel in 2018. And the reason is because I I launched a business. And so like most officers, I didn't have any social media. And when I launched the business, that's when I started the YouTube channel and I started Facebook and uh, LinkedIn because I was promoting and it was I made a military product that was in the Marine Corps exchanges. And so really the followership that I got was based on military people that were supporting entrepreneurs. And so I got really involved in entrepreneurs. And so I had a couple thousand followers on each platform because of that business, which was just enough to start the fire. And once I created the YouTube and then I started kind of like experimenting with some other things. So like I posted something about Memorial Day with General Kelly's son, Robert Kelly, who I knew who was killed in Afghanistan. And that might have been the only and then I I launched. I I have one that's still up there about being an entrepreneur because I did some keynote speakers, I think military members being entrepreneurs while they're still active duty, there's utility in that. And so I was like doing other things. Um, and then, but like that platform, that like small platform gave me enough to start what happened when I launched the video about accountability.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure it probably took off, but that like that, what like you were saying there, like I, I heard that too. Cause I, I read so many articles. It pissed me off reading some of the shit that was, that was written about that because as i was watching the video i was like this he's not mentally ill he's not disturbed he's pissed off like i mean (laughs) i mean one one
2: article i won't even name it 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 uh it went as far as to like compare me to hitler right like it went i know a fascist and you know who else was a fascist hitler like scheller has characteristics and i was like i was just like so angry after everything i've done and like asking for accountability got me compared to hitler and then then like, this is me, like, because I'm, I'm just sitting in my house, I'm on leave. And so I'm reading the comments below. And like, one of them's like, I think he might be schizophrenic. He's like, at that age. And I was like, I mean, I, I can't describe to you the, like, just rage reading all these comments. Um, but yeah, I worked through it. You know, all, all you can do is just fucking bite your tongue and keep moving forward. And at the end of the day, none of those people really know me. And that's, again, going back to like, why I had to go out in the media. Cause I just had to like, let people hear me. Like I'm a, I'm halfway intelligent guy. I can be articulate. Um, obviously there was some things that I said that were overly emotional that I would have tweaked the language, but still I go back to, they, that anything that people were attacking me was like ripping one or two sentences out of a huge, bigger content of a message that just wasn't being addressed. And so, yeah, it frustrated me too, brother, a lot. <laughs>
0: Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's what happens now today. Like most of the media is just it's it's people trying to get engagement and and they have to write shit like that. And the problem is is they don't care if they damage your reputation or, you know, they're just like, hey, if it gets more people to read my stuff, then that's what I care about. I, I
2: honestly, though, I think it's short term thinking. So you're exactly right. It's like clickbait, whatever. Sound bite I can pull out of it that's going to get people to click on this thing. But the risk of that over the long term is now all of us like are distrusting, right? So now we all look at it and we're like, I don't even know if that's true. Like, I mean, like it's not, it's gone beyond that's your opinion to now. I don't even know if that's factually accurate, right? Yeah. And so they've created this situation where like both sides of the media are just spinning their story. Like when I was going through what I was going through, all I was doing was watching stuff like what you guys are doing now, podcast, YouTube of like normal people. Like that was more of a real reaction. I got, cause like tomorrow I'm doing a podcast with like Nikki TV and it's just like some sailor mm-hmm. in Okinawa who's got a pretty big following, but like, that was the most realistic reporting I could find. Cause I was like, if it whether it's in Fox news or CNN, it's just their like spin of the story and it wasn't accurate. And so, that's why I think podcasts have taken off as much as they did. And so I think the media, yeah, short term, they're they're maybe getting the clicks. But now, I mean, look at Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan yeah. is the perfect example of they're strengthening this podcast forum because they have for too long, people have now, like all both sides are like, they've all acknowledged that it's a narrative and not necessarily factual.
0: Yeah, and, and they're struggling to maintain what uh, what uh, small graphs they have left i was reading about that the other day uh that one he just had uh was the guy's name robert malone yep on there and now there's if you go look online there's all these articles out there trying to dispel uh whatever he said mass formation hysteria or whatever now everybody's like that's not a real thing that's not a real thing uh, I, I just think it's funny. It's like, I don't know that he said that it was like a real thing or anything. He was just trying to describe what he thought was some sort of phenomenon. And, um, you know, again, too, like I know you, you've seen that firsthand, right? And you talked about that. Some of the people that, you know, it goes back to the careerism thing I was talking about. Here's all these these people that you thought like, hey, these are my brothers and sisters. And then, you know, there was blood in the water. Um, you know, they, they came out like piranhas and, and didn't really take an objective stance or, you know, kind of, you know, maybe left their spine in the closet, uh, when it, when it came time to figure out like, Hey, you know, maybe this guy is on to something when, when he said some of these things that he said,
1: hundred percent, I mean, your, your point in, I worked in Capitol Hill in 2019, right at the end of was right when the Democrats took over the house and i worked in a republicans office and man you could you could see things happen and then watch it hit the media about you know a few hours later and just watch it spin either this direction or watch it spin that direction and you could watch it on one channel and see it framed in a completely different format and then flip the channel and watch it framed in a completely separate other format and you're like they're talking about a completely different thing, but yet I know it's it's the, the source is this, right. but they have spun this completely separately to where it doesn't even sound like it's the same shit. It's like two lance
2: corporals fighting. You hear both of their sides of the story. And you know the truth is somewhere in the middle. Like that's it's like yeah. literally what it is.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. That was uh, what it, uh, somebody said to me once. He's like, "Yeah, there's three sides to every story. There's your side, their side, and the
1: truth." That's right <laughs> it, it was nuts i mean yeah yeah I, I read some of the comments to to your uh to some of the videos or to the, the video you put out and i was just i was laughing at some of them i'm like yeah yeah uh, hey was,
2: guys i'm sorry but i got a I i got another thing here at 210 you guys yep. final word
0: Yep. No, no worries. Uh, yeah. I appreciate you uh, taking the time to uh, come on here and chat with us and talk about your experience too. Cause I know a lot of other folks are, are about to be in that same position as you and um, yeah. Anything else uh, last words that you want to put out?
2: I'll just, I, I'll just, and I know we said it in the middle, but I really appreciate the opportunity to get to talk with other warriors. And I think the louder our voice gets on forums like this, You know, right now we've got a problem with the executive, congressional, military, senior leadership not holding each other accountable, but truly there's more of us than there are of them, and the more we start talking and engaging, I think it will ultimately lead to change, and so that's why it was important that I got an opportunity to speak with you guys, and I just appreciate you guys having me on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, if there's anything else that we can help with, too, in the future, whether it's your disability claim or, you know, networking, whatever, um, I got a guy, I, I think I told you about him before, David Baluch, uh, who I'll, I'll reach out and figure out the best way to put him in contact with you, because, you know, when I kind of told him what you were doing, and he saw some of your stuff, he was like, yes, absolutely. I I agree with him 100%. So. <laughs> Uh all right i gotta go thanks Stu, take
1: care thank you
0: thank you for listening to the get to vet podcast make sure you subscribe to our channel and follow us on LinkedIn if you'd like to come on the show email us at mike or trevor at get to vet.net that's get the number two vet and let us help you get to vet